absolutely phenomenal. And how do you put statistics on this, Phil? This isn't measurable because this is the art of human. I think there's tears in your eyes, Raymond. It's September 8th. Welcome to the Soccer in Theory podcast with Rehan Ahmed and Mark Jay. I'm Ashwin Bajaj, and together we'll be discussing the events coming out of the world of football and look towards the week ahead. You can follow us on the Soccer in Theory podcast, available both on Apple and Spotify, and also on our website, soccerintheory.com. Today we'll be discussing managers quite a lot, and the big story I suppose that's coming out is well it's already confirmed Tuchel has been fired from Chelsea and already been replaced within a day or so by Graham Potter as a Chelsea fan Ron, I'm sure you have a lot to say about that well yeah I don't know what do you want me to say about that it's uh, how to start <laughs> so many mixed emotions as far as um, yeah I think first off Tuchel, it's a very, very strange one because he was, you win the Champions League in your first half season in charge. Everyone's happy about that. And then things go downhill in different ways, but there's the big turning point for him seemed to be the the whole tumult at the higher echelons of the club with Abramovich leaves and then the whole structure above him is gone with Maria Granislava and like Petrček, and so he was clearly upset about that, and he made it clear in like interviews and stuff about like, oh, I've got all this other stuff to do now, and like he's complaining about that. So um, it was inevitable then, I guess, that he, he was getting burned out and um, and was upset, and you could see it in all of his post-match interviews and stuff he was just saying weird things a lot like you know recent games when when he like complained about the the coaches not being able to take a plane or something and like weird stuff so um i think it was inevitable in that sense but uh yeah and i think potter is a great manager and it's funny because certain things won't change very much so in that case it's like you're still going to play three in the back I imagine you're still going to have two wing backs and as much as Potter changes his system all the time he's still going to have two center mids in sort of whatever else changes around them changes two center mids and two wing backs so and the other thing is Potter's teams just don't score and a lot of goals that's been their problem with Brighton last few years, like that, especially the 2020, 21 year where their XG was very high and they were supposed to have all these points and the advanced analytics were all, was all sort of linked toward this narrative that like, look, they should be, you know, fifth place, but really they're in 16th, which is where they ended up. So um, I think it's a really good manager with potentially not solving the same problem that Chelsea have, which is that, even when they play well, they don't score or, um, yeah, then end up losing to Dinamo Zagreb or something. So, yeah, I, I don't know how in the short term this will, uh, this year might not be, um, it might not solve anything in terms of like if you're trying to finish in the top two or top three, but um, 
yeah, I think it's a good appointment. In terms of man management, that's something that Tuchel, I think, had a problem with. I mean, I thought it was something to do with PSG where man management is very important, but he wasn't able to do it and he admitted that by the end of his term there. But here he seemed to have lost the dressing room in the last month or so. And and those post-match interviews when they drew or had lost in the last couple of weeks, you realize that it's going to blow over because usually when you want to shit on your players, you don't you do it in the dressing room, right? I mean you may say one some once in a while you may say something, but I've noticed that in different clubs, especially in Chelsea, Conte, Mourinho, when they start to really criticize their players in very harsh terms in the media, that usually indicates that they're not able to do that in the dressing room. No one's listening to them there or they've lost the <laughs> dressing room. And that's always inevitably followed by a sacking even the next week or two. And sure enough, it, it seemed to have happened here too. Sad though, very- because I do like his tactics. I, I like how he sets up a team, but you know, I guess there are other skills required. I saw an interview with Joe Cole last year and he was talking about how he was playing for Mourinho and didn't understand what had happened. He played a great game, scored a goal, and then his friends told him after the match, did you hear Mourinho's press conference? And he was absolutely laying into Joe Cole for his defensive frailties. It's like, what the hell, man? <laughs> yeah, I mean, don't you feel, we talked about it earlier, like Tuchel just seems like a very, I don't know, a difficult figure to be around as a human. He seems to have lost an astonishing amount of hair since he took the job. Like, it's completely, like, like the man is under so much stress. We right. saw it with the Conte thing. Um, yeah. I, I don't think the Chelsea players well, will be too disappointed. I don't know. I mean, I think he seems like a, like an interesting Germanic figure to me. Like, you know, like, like stereotypical in certain senses. But I, I think it's who, like, the attackers, the other players and how they changed. Who did he make better, right? And who does he seem to have a good relationship with? Because mm-hmm. one another weird aspect of all this is he let him the Todd Bowley and who seems like sort of running the whole ship um mm-hmm. on his own now, which is already weird, right? He's an owner who used to own the Dodgers, who's now literally showing up to meetings and signing players. Like they signed the you know Chukumeka because he met with the Aston Villa board as at like a dinner or something and they're like oh what about this guy i mean it was it's weird um but but why would you let him sign Yang, for example i mean they worked together in dortmund and i guess they liked each other and it was like oh i'm gonna bring this guy in and then the, he's played like one half 50 minutes and then and he's gone so if you're bringing in this new striker i, I don't really understand that but i think to, to that point about like who with the defenders, Reese James has improved or sort of seems to like Tuchel, right? Mm-hmm. And I think all of the defenders or people at the back have gotten better or been happy and all of the attackers have just gotten worse or right. been upset. Like all right. of them are want to leave at once and all of them don't like him. So there doesn't and seem... I think he's playing weird mind games with them in the, yeah. the 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 tactics. For example, why would you do? We briefly touched on this sort of Ruben Loftus cheek at right wing back. Right. If you have a tactical system that's more or less fine. Why did you put Reese James in the right side of the back three when you know you need more going forward? 
and he decided to put Loftus cheek out wide and play Gallagher when you know Ziek is on the bench in that week, and he's just pushing the buttons of some of these attackers to try to get a reaction. Maybe it's what you're saying that like the only place he can try to motivate them is in the press and by like not picking them or picking making them play wing back when they don't want to or something. Um, yeah. Yeah. Speaking but if you of, look at, oh god, there's just this one that what I found strange in his last in the last year is, okay, you've got Lukaku, who's a record signing and has done well at Inter, generally a good player as well. Okay, it didn't work out in the first couple of months. Maybe you were expecting more from him. He didn't fit um, the way you wanted him to. But it's almost like he's left out in the cold after that. It wasn't like, okay, there are ways in which he's trying to... Obviously, we there's a lot of the game that we never see what happens in the training ground and what happens in conversations within... But it's never it never seemed like he's able to mend a relationship or instill a certain confidence in a player who has has sort of lost it for a little while. And that's especially important for attackers, right? Because every time they miss, that's a bigger problem. And in the end, what you had is very poor efficiency in, in front of goal for Chelsea. And you know, Mark, you were saying. No, no, it's it, it is interesting what he's doing with the attackers because I was just I was thinking about Lukaku, Timo Werner, Ziyech, and Havertz, and those were the big players that he brought in. Um, I mean, he brought in Sterling as well, but um, that was kind of more of a known quantity, a known entity in the Premier League, and really none of them have worked out. I mean, Havertz scored the Champions League goal in the final, so you can't you can't take that away from him. But aside from that, it just doesn't right, Ryan. I mean, it just hasn't looked right. It really almost has never looked right. And that you know, in the Champions League, they played the other team just kind of sat behind them, and it didn't really look like Chelsea has many ideas of, of what to do. Um, yeah, it's a it's a strange. Yeah, I, mean, I like also, the build up play. Of course, the build up play is beautiful, but through but, the midfield, but you get to the final third, and does it? They're not creating chances. Doesn't look like they even know what to do. It doesn't look like there's. It just looks very stale. I mean, another player who who seems to. I mean, I don't watch Chelsea week in week out, but Mason Mount seems to have declined. Um, he seems to have a ser- serious yep. dip in form because I remember during the Euros, he was like automatic starter for England. He was you know England's probably first on the team sheet type guy, and uh, now he. he he looks awkward. Like this five-three-two. I mean, five-two-three, whatever you want to call it. It just, it doesn't. I don't know, man. It. it we'll see if it works with. Power. I have it just. It's so rigid. It's so mm-hmm. rigid. You. It, it, I can see if you have Kovacic and Jorginho playing there together. Maybe that's the difference. It, it, yeah. But, I mean, between the two, because the the Tuchel version of it is rigid, and right. the idea is that's one thing you can say about Potter's Brighton team it's completely fluid from week to week. He'll change it. Like he'll right. remember t- when they had that year where they weren't scoring goals and it was like, um, you know, what's his name? Neil Malpai can't finish. And right. sort of what does his attempts at solutions were kind of like what you do if you're managing a team on FIFA. It was like, right. Oh, I've got this guy like Leandro Trossard. He's a winger. He's really quick. Why not just put him at striker instead and play him as the, the forward and yeah. like you know, let's go with a front two, 
Um, so he's, I think with this, the two pivots is at his like center mids are going to be constant. Um, but otherwise, and the wingbacks, but otherwise I think he changes everything, which can be nice. But ironically, I thought watching the first half of the Zagreb game, like when Aubameyang was put into the side, the build-up play looked like it was it looked promising it was like oh if you have these progressions now where you have a center forward especially one who when he drops deep and back to goal you play it to him and he plays it back and then if he turns and sprints you know he's pulled out the center uh the center defender and suddenly you're realizing that someone like Havertz is much more comfortable with that when that second ball comes into his Mm. feet with that space that you create and then now with Aubameyang you actually have sensible run it's like what if Werner was actually a good finisher you'd have the the or or knew what he was doing because everyone loved the fact that Werner was making all these runs but oftentimes he just wasn't uh, because he wasn't a threat as a center forward back to goal at all you know um he wasn't giving you a structure. He was just making random right. runs, pulling, trying right. to pull a defender out wide is not going to work if you do it every single time. <laughs> so, um, so anyway, the irony is that I think with Aubameyang, things could have, if you gave him some time, I think Dougal could have figured something out. But um, yeah, no, I think well, the attackers, the thing, yeah. Well, the the thing we didn't talk about last week with signings was Fofana. I mean, mm-hmm. this defense with Koulibaly. Fafana, Azbalaqueta, Thiago Silva, Reese James, Chilwell. This is about as rock solid as it as it gets. So it seems like they have a structure there. Um or they should have a structure there. Yeah. It's just the, the attack I, I feel bad for Sterling, man. It seems like he left City the year when things might finally happen for them. And he comes to this situation where way too much is expected of him because he seems like the only one that can kind of, it seems like they just funnel him the ball. Like they when they run out of ideas, they funnel him the ball. But I, I don't know. I, I don't, I, I can't really see this five in the back system. It's just an aesthetic thing. It just kind of pisses me off. Like you have Kovacic, Jorginho and Conte just, just play the three of them. Uh, that's how I would set up. Well, just play. What would you do with Reese James? Actually, that's my just my, play him a right back. My gripe. Just play, just play, just play four in the back. Koulibaly, Fofana, Chilwell, Reese James, Kovacic, Conte. Think, this is the thing about Reese James. Like, I think it's kind of it's not exactly like the Trent Alexander Arnold problem. Jeez. Um, but it's similar in that <laughs> he's not really. He's so good going forward. He's like Chelsea's best player going forward sometimes, yeah. and. If he's a, he's not a real right back, I think it's the three four three works well if you give him freedom as the right wing back slash winger even you know, um, but you can't do that if it's like Aspilicueta as your right sided center back. It needs to be Fofana or something. So I don't mind the three four three if you let it be fluid and attacking. I think that's the best way to get the most out of Reese James. But Tuchel started playing him as the back of uh, the right side of the back three which completely destroys the purpose of having him, I think. Speaking but of you... defense, just just well, speaking of defense, though, um, and, yeah, Mark, you named all these players, and, and they're all, except for Thiago Silva, the rest are fairly young, and, and the prospects, right? I mean, they're also proven prospects. 
Is are Jorginho and Conte at the same level they were a year and a half ago? They, I, I feel their games dropped a little bit, and then those Conte's are... just hurt all the time. That's the big issue. Yeah. Yeah. And then Jorginho, I think that's a good point though. Jorginho is not. I mean, Kovacic though is at the same level. Yeah. yeah. So Elevated. I think it's just yeah. That's a separate problem in terms of if you're going to play two, it should be Conte and, Jorginho, and Kovacic all and they day. Protect the defense, right? I mean, if that. Because they're not look convincing, even in spite of having all these players, they're not look convincing defensively either in the last four or five games. Yeah, I mean, Ryan, you watch more than me, but my 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 sense is, as an outsider, that they're just the 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 attack is a problem. The attack is a big problem when you watch them; they simply never score, and and so you have all these players that are ineffectual at the top, but you have pretty consistently Kovacic on the bench. Um, you know, when Conte and Jorginho have been healthy throughout Tuchel's tenure, he's tend to have gone with Conte and Jorginho, um, at least um, in the games that I've watched. And, and Kovacic is too good of a player to be sidelined when you have an ineffectual front three. Just take – or or a back five. Take I, – I, these managers are so – I mean, that's the other thing, I guess – we wanted to talk about the managers are so rigid in their systems just is there any is there any manager left but i mean okay like ancelotti for example remember last year during the classico he just randomly played <laughs> he completely messed up the team structure and he randomly played modric and Cruz as the pressing players mm-hmm. and completely changed the tactics got it wrong it was like an embarrassment they lost was- what 4-0 something like this Four nil um, should have been nine nil or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it was a ridiculous match, yeah. and it was clearly a tactical error from the coach. And he just came out after he's like, "My bad." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> God, I thought it would work, like didn't work at all. It's like, who other? What other manager would do that? that? The like, what what yeah. other manager? Pep does it, but he does it in the Champions League final. Like no other manager is <laughs> experimenting with structure. It's like such a. But tell me, Mark, when it's, you when when you when you I mean, isn't like this structure, this these tactics, these styles of play that managers develop and then become known for? Like, it takes quite a while to instill that, right? I mean, right. think about Pep's first um, year in Man City; he wasn't very successful, on even though he was spending money then. In Barcelona, he was successful immediately, but he came through the ranks. He was managing their, I think, second string team. So he had a bit of experience. Is it really that easy to constantly change around things? And, and and I think the thing you just mentioned is when they have tried to experiment a little, it's gone terribly wrong. They gave away the Champions League to Chelsea by not playing Fernandinho or, or the other defensive, Rodri. I mean, that was... Yeah, go on. It, it, I mean, I'm curious what you guys think, but like an example that's coming to mind is just Liverpool's high line defensively. Mm-hmm. It's like, man, just drop off. You don't have the intensity. When you don't have the intensity up top and the pressure on the ball, just drop off. It's It seems like a very basic thing that we were taught, you know, this even is at the our right level. Right week for that issue, yeah. Right? And then they're playing against Napoli, who absolutely, you know, disemboweled Hammered. them Hammered. and <laughs> the, and yeah i mean it could have been much worse than, than the final result right. and they're still the napoli has the ball you know maybe 10 yards deep from midfield and 
Van Dijk, who's supposed to be the best center defender in the world, is just trying to press, push the lineup, and then some whoever midfielder is just slipping through, and they're in on goal. Like, what kind of tactic is that? It seems like Klopp not wanting to accept that his midfields not the midfield he had a couple of years ago. Okay, this is my point. This is the time then to 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 make the point because okay, yeah. my my issue is this: like, for example, when I was in graduate school reading Hegel, let's say, or Heidegger, I was so overawed by the by the language. And I was so overawed by like the other people in, in the class that seemed to have a better grasp of the concepts than me when I was like, no, I can't possibly criticize what's happening because it's over my head and there must be some sort of mystical quality. Or same with like Deleuze and Guattari, you know, it's like there has to be something there. But then yeah. but now that I've aged, I'm just like, no, like you, I mean, you you see what the basic point is and you can kind of disagree or, or agree. And it's, and I wonder if it's the same thing with managers where it's like this almost like fog of war type of thing. Like, it's like, if you really knew what was happening inside the White House, like the president had to do this, there was all these threats. And it's like, no, nah, I don't think that that's happening in the soccer world. Um, what it probably is happening is, I mean, I have this chart here, like the average tenure of a, of a of a Premier League manager from like the 50s to let's see the from the 50s to to the to present has gone from about 3,000 days to about 400 days so they, they just cycle these guys in and out so there isn't I can see that like there isn't as much maybe leniency to experiment and get it wrong if you're not an Ancelotti but I do right. feel like we we give these guys what do you think i mean when we give the, these guys a bit too much too much credit um at least the top ones um just to add to that statistic i mean i think even ferguson was probably the most one of the most successful managers in the last 30 years it took him about 6 or 7 years to actually win his first title mm. just to add to the statistic mm, so it, it just seems to me, I mean, what do you think, Ryan? Like, do you think there's like this, like, okay, Bielsa, it's like, man, mm. stop doing the man, the man marking on the press, just do a zone. And he's like, no, like, I wouldn't. It's like, is there some. Yeah, no, I think this is kind of the, what you, what you expect that you, about this, uh, this attitude towards geniuses in among acolytes or mm. continental theory uh, continental philosophy and continental theory as taught in the u.s at least i think you have that is what we can classify like the kind of acolytes of that of that literature their attitude towards their texts is maybe what we can see as a problem right mm -hmm. where you have this attitude where D and G can't say anything wrong um right. the with Bielsa um, or or Klopp, let's say they have a grand system, and right. it's kind of an but but it's one grand system, and when when it breaks apart, they don't have anything else to go to. Like it's the chains are all linked. So with Liverpool, the, the midfield gets worse, and in terms of pressing, this was a great example against um, Napoli this week. Yeah, I we, I saw. Um, Napoli against Lazio at the weekend before. And they couldn't, they were going into 
uh, Labatka from the from the back. They were playing out of the back, going into Labatka, who never got turned. Right, he was just playing out to the full back every time, almost, and which is ordinary what you right. expect when when you line up against a team like this. But against Liverpool this time, they they played it out to him, and he just waited for like one second, shifted left. <laughs> yeah. There was multiple yeah. times where he let, he did the same fake. Uh, same feint and then let the ball just go across his body and got turned past the you know and once you to get turned past the first link in that pressing chain then it's like the whole midfield is open and they just comfortably pass through and the same thing with Anguisa how do you do two Maradonas I mean I I like Anguisa a lot yeah yeah love that is grand are you happy for him man yeah I'm so happy for him but they they made him look so much better than like He's, he shouldn't be allowed to just do a Maradona and be like, oh, here's a ton of space because you overcommitted. So if every link in the chain doesn't commit with the same level of success, um, your whole system breaks. And it's like, well, what's the, to Klopp's credit afterwards, he said something kind of corny, but like something about like, we have to reinvent ourselves and like he, his attempt at sincerity, that Ancelotti's sincerity is what really, I think, uh, makes him so appealing that he was that right. game was you're right he was just like I messed up I tried something it didn't work whereas like someone like Klopp and uh, Guardiola the sincerity is more contrived like when right. Klopp like, every time Guardiola when they like thrash someone 5-0 he'll be like oh this was a very good team they played a great game yeah, and, like, yeah something like yeah, that yeah. And it's like no no you don't mean that <laughs> so, right yeah um, yeah exactly so much posture yeah I think when the difference is but like when you have a grand idea or like with Bielsa and it really is you know eye opening like with Pep what he does with their weird box uh, in possession where it's like right. well you you turn your inverted fullbacks into essential center midfielders and like it is uh, sort of uh, something really innovative but that inability to do anything else at best, this is where Potter might be, um, might have his, the strength of someone like Potter is that kind of fluidity and ability to change systems. And maybe that is what makes the, the difference between someone who's a great manager at that level versus someone who's just like a good manager who's got like, oh, you know, I play four five one, and then I, I just try to keep things going. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, I think Guardiola might be that kind of genius, but I don't know. Ashwin, tell me what you think, because my, my sense with Guardiola for a while has been that we fetishize this guy. Because look at what's – okay, Holland is like a, is a once-in-a-generation talent. But look what happens when they just play a number nine. Just play a number nine. The team is undeniably more threatening. Just play a number nine. You have the threat in behind. You already have five tacticians and – a left back that's a number 10 on any other team. Why for so many years a false nine? We isn't That seems like a very obvious thing to me as an observer, but do, do you think that type of obvious no, insight is just naive? In Bayern, he had a number nine, right? He had right. probably the best number nine off that generation in Lewandowski. Um, it is odd, but, you know, but also to the point, I mean, when you think about Guardiola and and, and, and clock right now just thinking about managerial careers like we always think of player careers they last about 10 maybe with Messi and Ronaldo it's stretched into 15 years now but 
if you look at managerial careers, they're not, like it's not endless. Even Ferguson and Wenger, who one thought they were always there and they went through at least four or five generation of, generations of teams, uh, Ferguson even more. It's about 20 to 25 years if you're a really successful manager. And in, in the middle, you often have many periods where you are nondescript. Like for Ancelotti, for instance, he's got the record for Champions Leagues. He's a very successful manager. But for times in his career, he, he's been fairly anonymous. Like when he was in Napoli, for instance, Everton yeah, for Everton. a couple of years. So, did you hear the story? Ash, did you hear the story of how he got the Madrid job? He was this, just this time or last time. Yeah, this time he was just randomly on a phone call with the boss of, of Madrid, and they were just like talking about the shambles of the club. And the boss was like, "Man, we needed like a different manager." And Ancelotti's like, "Well, like, what about me?" And he's like, "Okay." <laughs> Sorry, jumped. No, but but there, there seems to be a certain like when I mean I understand that in terms of tactics when we think about it from. Uh, from really far, there seems to be two or three ways in which um, either you set up as a counter-attacking team or you try to do the cryophane thing. But obviously, managers bring to the game certain styles and certain innovations to that particular style, which 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 falls off after a while. Look at Mourinho now. It's it's very clear. It's not that he's a bad man manager. I mean, okay, he has his problems, but it seems like that style is now out, right? It's not mm-hmm. going to work for very long. Maybe this year with Roma, it'll be proven wrong, but it's like he's now past it. What does that mean? It's not always that he's lost his marbles and all he can do is scream, which which Mourinho, well, that, that doesn't happen too. But it's that there's something about how you set up a team which has been figured out, right? So there is right. minor evolution that is taking place. But yeah, I mean, I was surprised well, that when you look case. at it, yeah, go on. I was just going to say there, there it's also a matter of something that you do that's original at the time that then becomes routinized. Yeah. I mean, the the coming into a league is circa 2000 where it was 4-4-2 was still half the team in the Premier League are playing it and then you install like the Makaleli role and go f- with 4-1 and different things in front of your back five. Now it's just like, well, that's ordinary. There's nothing special about that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think Bayern winning 8-2 a couple of years ago in Barcelona, it was they were given a hiding in the style that Barcelona invented, in a sense. Obviously, they invented it recently, but it's the opposition suddenly. You're playing yourself, only a better version of yourself. This is my thought with, like, you know, with, um, like, okay, literature. Like, we talked about postmodern literature last time, not not for the podcast but off camera or whatever and it's like at a certain point like I remember David Foster Wallace like wrote this essay on literature and he's basically saying like okay all of this technical um, ingenuity that we've brought it's exhausted itself and like the next new insight in like the world the next new move is going to be a return to like pure sentimentality and like pure, you know, just pure characterization. Like that's the only direction it can go. And I'm wondering if if my reactionary, I mean, I'm, I'm like, maybe Ryan has thoughts of if this Potter, because you were saying before that there's like some sort of maybe new model that he's bringing in with the emotional, uh, you know, emotional therapy or whatever his degree was in. But it seems like my, as a reactionary, which I often am, it's like, 
when I see with Ancelotti in Madrid is just and Zidane in Madrid is just like no more of this no more of this shit. Just look at Modric, probably the most successful ten of his generation. Like there was never any question what is what what is what are they doing with Modric? Like what are they doing with Cruz? How it's it's completely obvious to everyone how they're doing it. They're just saying, look, we have better players. And it's the same with Madrid this year. It's just they're not doing anything interesting. But do you really have to do anything interesting? Does Man City even really I'm I'm not saying okay, Potter Potter like we're we're talking about. I mean, he he got them from the fourth division. He got Ostersund from the fourth division in Sweden to the top tier. So that's a really impressive way to start your managerial career. But so, but at the absolute top level, do you really yeah. need to be constantly doing these technical innovations, or can you just say, "Look, I have Kovacic, Jorginho, and Kante." I'm just going to play them and I'm going to find a, a striker who can get in behind and I'm going to just play Ziyech, who I bought all this money. Well, I paid all this yeah, money yeah. for it. Like, just do it. Like, what is I so think complicated? This comes full circle to the problem with Tuchel that I think you do need something really, you know, fully mapped out and with a lot of uh, micromanaging, let's say, in terms of defense nowadays. Mm. Um, and so, like, okay, what with the triggers, when are we going to press and how are we going to do it? How are we going to preserve that structure of our you know, the back five, basically, um, and maybe back seven, if you're thinking about your midfield. But the issue at the top is kind of getting out of the way of your right. really creative players. And that's what right. Tuchel didn't do. You can over-program uh, a Hakim Ziyech or something where you see him get the ball and, like, need to make this automatic pass and never sort of play the one-two that he wants, um, which I think to kind of Tuchel's credit, I don't know if this the way he's used Sterling has been a little different because he has given him some freedom where you see Sterling when he gets on the ball and, uh, in that half space, he's looking for a different one too, which is all he does. But his, you can see him shifting everywhere just to like pick out whichever one he wants, which is not, it's not that free flowing or anything, but the, the version of it that I think worked this week in the Champions League was um, you see in PSG where you see Neymar and Mbappe. And especially that start of that game, it's mm. like Neymar was just like <laughs> on it. And you see like the, when you're like, all right, spread it. And it was very much like, we're, we happen to be playing this formation. You spread it. We've got three forwards, one, one left, one right, and one kind of in the center. And it was just like, take two or three touches, no more, and just try to find your angles, try to combine. Yeah. And that's what they did. And he, him and Mbappe played that. You could see them looking for that one too, and oh, that one too was beautiful in the end, My right? God, <laughs> it was that after they interchanged twice, like like that's what happens when you get out of their way, which I think Galte might be doing. Yeah. yeah, totally. One other thing is on the on the thing of management in terms of longevity is with Arteta. That was always the the the, the tension in my mind that really suffocated me is that I love that Arsenal is giving someone a long tenure. Yeah. I just wish it wasn't Arteta. That's just, that was always, I still feel that way. I mean, (laughs) not, not as dogmatically, but maybe it's just stubbornly, but yeah, like I love that Arsenal is doing that and that they're trying to set up like, you know, the, the Emery was, was a strange, was a strange signing, but, but, with Arteta, someone from within the club, I love that they're doing that. 
And I would definitely hope that that becomes a model, you know, because isn't there something that seems to be like where the amount of money in the game. I mean, I know, Ren, you were, you're slightly more keen on Jesse Marsh and, and you were more positive than I was when they signed him last year for Leeds. But it's like, there's something so soul crushing when you see Bielsa get, when you, like, when, when okay, when Ranieri got fired after Leicester one, I mean, that's the caricature one, but, and then Bielsa, and then, I mean, how, how much of this can we really, can we really stomach? It's like, it, it just, it's, it's difficult to watch. I mean, wouldn't it just be, I don't know how, I don't know how it can be changed because there's so much money. And like you're saying, Todd Bowley, whatever, just some American rich guy is all of a sudden bringing his cocaine adult mind to the boardroom and you know, the sport they doesn't even understand. I mean, that's, that's a complete pot shot for no reason. Well, but it just, Bowley, <laughs> I don't know if this story is apocryphal or actually happened, but he went to Tuchel suggesting that he play a 4-4-3. That was really embarrassing. <laughs> so I don't know if it's true or not, but it's, it's cited often enough in a lot of the literature that comes out. Um, uh, just, I had something in mind about the, the thing about managers, of course, they keep moving, but I think the success is still something that, defines a lot of their career. I know that's something that that's a fairly obvious thing, but I don't think Arteta would have been given, I mean, it's not a very long reign just as yet. It's, it's only been a couple of years, but if he hadn't won that FA Cup in his first six months, which right. effectively delivered by Almayong, who he then got rid of, I think, and right. I, I think rightly. Um, but I don't know if he'll be given the chance that he has. The only thing with Arteta, I'd say, I know a lot of people, a lot of other who follow Arsenal, I, they don't like him somehow. He just rubs everyone yeah. the wrong way somehow. But I don't think that any other manager who one knows of would necessarily do a better job with this group of players. Like, I don't, I mean, I can see some players. Arsene Wenger. Oh, well, no, we're not talking about, uh, you know, the, and God knows, Wenger last couple of seasons, he came sixth. But the thing is that, you see what I'm saying? Like, I can see yeah, a better yeah. manager doing well at Chelsea. I don't think this is the team is, is so far behind that. I mean, it's possible maybe they'll have a really bad year, but I still with a little bit of discipline, with a little bit of confidence, with, you know, some things being tweaked around, I think Chelsea could still have a successful year. Maybe they won't win everything, but I don't think they were doing that even. I mean, they were, um, anyone thought they'd do that in the beginning of the year. But with this group of Arsenal players, there are limitations, right? I mean, you wouldn't play, Odegaard is not Patrick Vieira or Robert Perez or any, any of those, or even Fabregas or anything like that. So I think for what he's been given and I really like what he said, you know, in the first, after he won the FA Cup. It is no rocket science. If you have the money and you buy the players, you get the results. Now, of course, often that doesn't happen, but I mean, there are fewer and fewer managers who now are able to pull off something with a very ordinary squad of players. Ryan, sorry, go on. No, no, no. I'm just saying that Like, I think you're kind of – it's true. I think he's doing a good job this year with Arsenal, to be clear. But on the other hand, he, what he's been given – 
like these guys, Odegaard in the English press has always kind of been like, oh, he's okay. I don't know much about this guy, which I don't understand. He's been yeah. like the youth footballer of the, like, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. like a worldwide wide talent since like 16, 15. And then he tore it up at Sociedad and sort of, I think he's, and the same thing can be said of some of these other young players. He's gotten, he's been given the best young talent yeah. in, in the world, the kind of players that the only reason City doesn't keep these players is because they can't give them game time. You know, and it's like you've assembled this team. So I think he's got the the talent there. This year will kind of, but it's true that they didn't mature until this might be the year that it's like they're ready to mature. You know, um, so it was odd. It was yeah. odd. Madrid let let Odegaard go. Seems like a perfect kind of you know Modric. Well, yeah, it was after the year that he just broke out at Sociedad. It, it is true though in the midfield three that he wasn't going to be as firm at like isn't at, at that age as Modric yeah. the issue with well, Madrid really has been just that the, those center mids have just stayed at that level for right. so much longer than you thought <laughs> that's what that's what I was thinking like uh you know we were talking about the tennis and like you know last night center played Alcaraz and in, in tennis, it's been the big three for so many years, you know, Djokovic, yeah. Federer, and Nadal, and we keep waiting. When will the next generation broke through? And last night, like, I was thinking if you're going to ask match of the week, Ashwin, it had to be Sinner Alcaraz. Like, it was unbelievable last night. <laughs> and you're saying, this is the new generation. They're finally here. These guys are finally better, and they have the charisma. And then you see, okay, it's Champions League, Real Madrid, who are they going to start? And it's like, my God, they're playing Cruz and Modric. Like you see when they when it counts, like Kamavinga just got pushed to the bench like right away. And it's like Carvajal slots right in. To the, and it's like these guys are completely timeless. And and so and you're also at another version of that, like Tottenham with Conte watching yeah. that game. And I was telling, yeah, I was just watching the game with my uncle, and I was telling him like Parasic, he gets his cross in every time. He's gonna, <laughs> yeah. he's going to. And then he got the ball three times, got his cross in every time. Sure enough, when they finally got the goal, it was the same. That guy is timeless, man. Yeah, you can't stop it. Can't stop it. Yeah, yeah, totally. They got a bit lucky in that game, though. Um, Tottenham? Tottenham. I mean, maybe they deserve to just pip it. But the thing is, they were playing with a man advantage for quite a while, right? Yeah, and I mean that Marseille team has lost a lot from last year. That's another kind of transition team. Saliba was looked world class with them last year. It's nice that they got hurried in, and when they were down to ten men it, with seventy five, you thought they were going to get something from it. But that's the Conte Tottenham sort of. You you knew they were just going to get more and more crosses in the box up a man, and eventually they scored twice. Same goal almost. Yeah. <laughs> Richarlison header. What do you think? Should, you want to talk about United? Austin, does it pain you too much? I was watching, you know, I, I was going to watch the replay and I'm like, oh, you know, Arsenal, see Arsenal United. And then I get a text in my inbox, motherfuckers. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, well. Unless Ashwin's having a midlife crisis, I'm thinking Arsenal lost this match. (laughs) Sorry about that. (laughs) No, no, not at all. Not at all. It's fine. I was like, but uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, Ryan, you were right. I mean, Anthony 
You slotted right in, didn't you? He's so good. <laughs> it's ridiculous, man. You, know, you guys were talking about maturity, and this is the year either they do mature or, or Arteta is not the one who will get them there. I think, I mean, he's had enough time. He's um, been, like you said, given the funds and, and given the players now, and they have a much improved squad, squad than what it was a couple of years ago. So either this year they, they achieve something. I don't know what that something is, but let's say a top four finish or even of course they win the league. That's great. And they go far in the Europa League and something which is credible, right? Um, but, and obviously Arsenal over the last decade, they've reduced expectations so much that the, the one thing that I was thinking about when watching that game is this is not an insipid performance. Like you often, they've gone right. to these, um, these top, top, um, well, um, the top six, and 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 they've just not competed at all. That wasn't the case here, but they were the better team for large parts. And in fact, I mean, it seemed like all the goals, it's maybe the last one, not so much, but the, were against the run of play. But I don't know. I mean, keeping that higher line when that is all that the opposition is offer, offering at that point. I understand that it, 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 it was useful for certain moments in the game, but I, I do think that once you've gotten back into the match and you're the one who's dominating the opposition, United's not offering a whole lot coming forward. Arteta could have done a little better. I mean, you know, just manage the game a little better um, than he ended up doing. But the other thing that is that that final third, it, a lot of this match reminded me of a game they played a couple of years ago, or maybe last year against City. They were away. They lost 1-0. They could have won 3-1 or something like that if Saka had put away a couple of mm-hmm. fairly scorable chances. But again, I'm not saying he missed the kind of stuff that he did a lot, but there is a... Slight lack of ideas in the last. There's a lot of good build-up play, a lot of good sideways passing, but I felt that in order to achieve a certain maturity, Martinelli, Saka, Odegaard, and Jesus, they need to be a little better orchestrated in their attacks because otherwise there's a lot and lot of possession, which is which is obviously a great difference from what it used to be in, in the last um, couple of years. But I think... There, there is definitely something to be improved in the final third. Well, I mean, I thought compare that to, to Chelsea, the other team that you know hasn't been scoring in this kind of. I thought they were the the Arsenal's creativity in the final third was actually more or less was really good in terms of moving it right to left, one one touch. That's kind of what you need to do to create chances the issue i saw was they just weren't shooting quickly enough in and sort of like taking the, the half chance or to yeah. you know get a rebound or something when they went there's that one move where Saka's on the right he um he comes in plays a one two plays one touch out um on the switch it's like that's exactly the right way to beat a low block and then it just took too long to get the shot in and in terms of maturity, I think both of the teams were there was like a sensible, mature performance from them in that the first 10 minutes, Arsenal coming in off of uh, five, six wins in a row, I thought they were going to sort of just try to run the game. And they right. didn't for the first 10, 15 minutes. It was like 
you're away at Old Trafford, you just let them have possession, and then they hit you, they hit on the counter and they scored. The, if that goal wasn't shocked off, then I think the game is different. That wasn't a was, foul, man. No, that wasn't a foul. Odegaard <laughs> and Ericsson. Yeah. These are, I mean, <laughs> there should be no foul ever called when those two are competing for the ball. They don't. It was come on. <laughs> That's, That's a really strange decision, though. I mean, if you haven't caught it then I don't know if it's a clear and obvious error to actually rule out the whole call. I mean, that... It, 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 I thought it was a good call. I mean, like, <laughs> I obviously wanted it not to be a foul, but because I was very strongly rooting against United in this game, but... Um, the I thing is, to keep our Arsenal, you know, emphasis, right? It's like... Yeah. Oh, it looks like a foul from the yes. the camera, but what the camera can't capture is the... the was there actually any force... In the context that Odegaard, Odegaard, it's Ericsson, man. The man, yeah, he's not going to pull Ericsson. Ericsson just had his heart issues and everything. There, he's a respectful, <laughs> like he's not. He just kind of, you know, just a slight <laughs> swim yeah. move. It's, it, uh, oh, that's what he had in mind. Matters of the heart, <laughs> subtle. Yeah, yeah. But, um, you wouldn't flatter right. him. It's, it's not done. Yeah. But then, I mean, to the sort of. I think once that's chopped off, then Arsenal start pushing more. And I think that frustration, it, it's its one of those kind of real momentum shifts that you get with the VAR. Like you wait for a few few minutes and it's like, oh, shit. Then I think United wasn't really focused until that moment. After that, it's like, okay, you got your second chance and you saw a little more Christmas. The difference really was now you have Ericsson and Fernandez. Uh-huh. And mm-hmm. Fernandez is doing less weird stuff, and the yeah, passing yeah. coming out of Lissandra Martinez from the back line, breaking the the midfield line a few times. It, they were going more quickly on the ground from right to left, and mm-hmm. sort of getting a quick switch, and then looking through. It it's actually mm-hmm. quite quite scary to think that hi, huh, they keep the, this is the front three that goes against. Um, the rest of the mid table, this United yeah, team yeah. can be a real threat for top four. That ball from Fernandez into Martial, mm-hmm. I mean into Rashford, was ridiculous. Yeah. That was ridiculous. And again, it's ball. because Ericsson was able to switch it over to him first. You know. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm glad just being able to keep it in the midfield is kind of what you're also seeing with Liverpool. Their inability to keep it in the midfield and move it quickly right to left if they don't have Thiago and other people in there. Um, that's what United the, have now. That's a really problem with, in, with what Rayan said that the VAR and what that does to the flow of the game, it, it is a bit deflating, right? To have a goal mm. chopped out for totally not the most obvious of things. Like it's offside or something, you know, there's a clearer sense. Here it's ambiguous um, what happened. And, and, and of course, the other team, like in this case, United, they have a Pick me up, right? Like that is it's a, something yeah, yeah. that it's some they've been given a sudden it's a due machina, right? A respite from nowhere. And then that that I think did change the energy in the first half at least. Yeah. The problem with that I'm having with United is that they're threatening to become a likable unit once again for the first time in years. Play like Ronaldo once Harry Maguire... change. You know, just play Ronaldo a couple of games. <laughs> no, but no more Harry Maguire. No more Fred McTominay. Cristiano no more Ronaldo. Ronaldo. It's really... 
you know, you want De Gea to keep. De Gea is a very likable keeper. Obviously, Casemiro, Eriksen. Also, that McTominay played pretty well. Uh, as yeah. far as that role now, it actually it's a sensible role, whereas before it was completely superfluous. <laughs> I, I think this this round of um, Premier League matches on, on on the weekend this is going to be interesting because Arsenal they play Everton at home. They need a victory to just you know restore a sense of confidence um, because the thing is okay losing a game is not a big deal. It's just that this was supposed to be a test, right? Their first real test playing against a big club at least um, away. And you lose that, there can be those niggling doubts about where you are. But I, I think they <clears throat> they will come back strongly. United are playing Crystal Palace away. It's not an easy game. But the other thing that changes, I think finally oppositions are going to start remembering you are playing United. Just a couple of weeks mm-hmm. ago, I read, the, I think more than one player said that United had become the team to play. You want to pick me up, but you're so confident you're going to beat them in the last mm-hmm. year. I think a certain sense of respect is going to come back, and that also changes the way you approach the game. So I, I can, even though they've got a really good string of results, I think just because this may may not actually happen, but I imagine that I think Palace are going to recall that they're playing United, and I'll just playing a team a regular team, which is doesn't inspire a certain awe. So, yeah, I think I think Palace might actually do well or take a draw from this, even though that it seems against the run of the recent string of results for United, at least. What do you think about uh, what do you think about PSG's second half performance, Ryan? Did you did you see the game through or no? Um, I did not see the end of this game yet, I must say. So I'm aware of the result, but yeah. it seems yeah, like barely a performance. There is yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, it's interesting. Like there's so much. It seems like there's so much parity this year amongst amongst the top teams. There's so much. Like City completely blew away Sevilla. But aside from that, every team had a had a real stern stern test in the in the Champions League. Um, it's interesting. There's so much um, there's so much parity in in Europe, and there's so much parity in, in the Premier League, as you're saying. If if United can get back into it and everything, I mean, even 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 Inter versus Bayern. I mean, this was really contentious, really well fought out match. Um, Bayern it's hard. really good. Byron looked really good, man. Leroy Sané, did you see that it's, goal where he like, yeah. did the Ronaldinho chest? That was ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> and it's the same thing that we've been talking about. Like It is this really free-flowing interchange in the final third, but um, it's scary that Goretzka is healthy now. I know, he, man. That guy is jacked. Yeah. He needs a bigger jersey. He's like exploding out of that thing. He's like so, so muscular. If he sort of, you know, takes on, like Sabitzer has been filling in, if he gets back to his form pre-injury, then that team's scary. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, overall, I mean, with PSG, I thought overall, not, I mean, I know the first two goals were great and their performance in the first half was convincing, but in the end, their performance was convincing last year against Madrid for... 
about right. 180, 175 minutes out of 318 they lost. But the thing is that, I, I, I mean, I know a lot has been said about Mbappe's selfishness over there, but that was that was poor. Like, that was bad professionalism. You don't do that. I mean, in a game where you're just winning, 2-0 is not exactly a 6-0 sort of, you know, you don't have that sort of cushion. And it also, it doesn't have a good effect on a team if you have someone that selfish. I mean, I saw Neymar's expression after that. He said, come on, I mean, I know we're not best friends, but this is pathetic. <laughs> you can't, you actually, like, there's no excuse for for trying to shoot from that position where, um, and then Neymar's basically free over there and there's a tapping for him. And this, they sort those problems out. I think they can sort of have, um, issues because once the, those things fall apart, it's very difficult to reassemble, right? You, it, right. It's it's and it's not good for a team when you have a player exhibiting that kind of selfishness. And when I think about like you know when thinking about Mbappe or Holland, it's constantly comparing it to Messi and Ronaldo. Ronaldo is more arrogant and pompous, but he's not a selfish player. I've never seen right. him actually being selfish in this way. He may, you may see a bit of frustration once in a while and you, he, he always wants to score. But I've never seen him do stupid things. Selfish is not... Uh, yeah. Like he wants... Yeah, he wants selfish. He's selfish in the sense that when you've seen him being upset at teammates taking goals from him, but not in the sense that he would make right. the wrong decision. Right. And those expressions are always after the play. Okay, fine. Someone else scores. The game's whatever halted at that point, and they're celebrating, and it's it's quite annoying to see. But while it's going on, there is a much much more that's a stronger sense of responsibility, which is what makes him a very good captain. Right? He's he's a very good team leader in that sense. The only thing I can think of with Ronaldo was the first Champions League match against Barcelona. When Ronaldo, I think it was Ronaldo's last season at United, he oh, came yeah. out Wrong. and like the first possession, he shot the ball from like forty-five yards when he could have when he could have played in Rooney. But even that, I was thinking, <laughs> shoot! As soon as he got the ball, like shoot, because he's he was at that level. Whereas right. Mbappe's shooting is is not at that. Mbappe, there's something there's something always slightly. Um, I mean, to make baseless psychological you know, assessments of people. There's always something uh, worrisome about some. Like Neymar, you see his personality. He doesn't train. He doesn't care. He's complaining to the ref constantly. But Mbappe, it's like this goody-goody kind of attitude. But behind the scenes, from what happened this summer, you can see that there's a tremendous ego involved. And um, it can't be easy for him to be playing with, you know, I think he thought the mantle would be passed to him this year, but Neymar is like coming out of the, the complete, you know, I mean, I, I was, I've been completely wrong. Ram was right. Like Neymar is probably their best player. I mean, Mbappe scored those two goals, but throughout the course of the season, Neymar has been easily their best player. And I don't think Mbappe stayed in France to be not their best player. Like, so there's something, there's something odd. Yeah. Um, Again, I mean, just going back to the, the, the things that work with Galtier, speaking more from the first half, but um, like it's clear between Mbappe and Messi, they figured it out. In possession, when we're shifting it right to left, we've got the, the 
um, the attacking fullbacks, the the wingbacks going wide, both of us have the respective left and right half space and we'll try to shift it left, try to shift it right. And when I'm done, I pass, you know, back around to you and it's Messi to Mbappe. So back and forth. So I'm sorry to Neymar and back and forth. So um, if you can just get that, Mbappe can just get on board. This team can like dominate, but. That's what I was kind of hoping like Mbappe, because even if this team dominates, this is not a team built to last. I don't think this is the structure they have in mind going forward. So I just, Mbappe is like a really once in once in a kind of a, a generation or even beyond that kind of talent. And I would right. love to see him in a different, I mean, if he didn't, obviously the danger of him coming to England is he just gets injured because um, he just gets clattered all the time. But it would be really interesting to see him challenged a bit more. And he just doesn't seem to be getting challenged. Um, and I feel like that's not the, the way to progress. He's just so naturally talented. Like, uh, he's just, those goals are insane. <laughs> what, uh, who else can score those goals? Goals are, they're clinically, they're just technically it's perfect. You know? Looking to the week ahead, uh, we talked about Crystal Palace and their matchup against United. Um, Willa Lester, what else do you guys see on the cards? A lot of Champions League games next week as yeah. well, which are very exciting. Probably could talk about those as well. Yeah, and the, the Premier League, I think the biggest match is probably the obviously the you know, City and Tottenham. It's the the I get, and it's at City, so I get the sense that um, it's we're going to see a lot of possession from that team. It'll be very interesting to see like how Tottenham do manage to counter City and whether, like we talked about with Newcastle, sort of the blueprint for how to beat City, um, how to make Kyle Walker uncomfortable, have a have something in terms of high winger that you can use as an outlet. So I, I don't know if the Tottenham will be willing to do that with Son or something. And they won the fixture that, last time. Tottenham won the fixture yeah, last year. Yeah, so it'll be interesting. Leicester and Villa... I think is the game of the week for me in terms of like I think yeah. that the the relegation battle is probably going to be more interesting than and than ever this year because I my hunch is that even though they won last week Bournemouth are going to go down they don't seem to mm-hmm. have enough quality but beyond that I have no idea and right. Leicester are rock bottom right really? now yes and I think Brendan Rodgers is probably going to get sacked if he hasn't already been by the time we're talking right, now. Right. But um and I do think they have so many good players. I'm rooting for them because it would suck if they were gone. But um they have so many good players and I think a lot of we're talking about our manager discussion before. Rogers has done some weird stuff. I think he wants to get fired. Like yeah, he did, yeah. and he's been complaining about not getting money, which makes sense given they're they're not getting anyone except like one defender to fix to fill in for Fofana, but in DD at center back, it's remarkable how you can take someone who's so good and neutralize their their qualities completely. He looks bad as center back, which is not his fault. But um, so the midfield looks terrible when he's not there. So it, I hope. I mean, that'll be interesting because on the other hand, Villa, Mark was talking about last week. They have so yeah. much, so many weapons going forward, and they look terrible. So 
it's so odd the thing with Coutinho. It's like, what? Mm-hmm. Did I miss something? Like, he was playing so well. He was their talisman, and now he's just coming off the bench, uh, or at least in a heavy rotation, where it's like um, maybe 50% chance he'll start the match. It has to shatter his confidence. Because when you're the former yeah. Brazil number 10, and you're playing for Villa running the show, it's like, okay, it's fun. But when you're on Villa on the bench, bottom of the league, Premier League table, you're you're looking in the mirror, and you're thinking some dark thoughts, I imagine, um, within the context of, of soccer. Weird manager dynamics. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like a former, no, I mean, except for, like, your buddy. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> brought you in, and he's, like, losing your faith in you. Wait, like, what, what's the deal, man? My, my match of the week has to be Palace United because I'm looking at the table here and Palace have been like one of the most impressive teams this season but they're in 15th because they've already had to play Liverpool Arsenal and City Um, they've had had to play um, Newcastle they've had I mean they've had to play really tough teams but they only have six points through six I still think that they're probably fancying themselves versus United even with this little resurgence or whatever. Um I, I still fancy them. Um definitely. That's her spark too. That place is a cauldron, man. That would be a really fun place to play. Or 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 to watch more realistically. Or to just watch the game on NBC even more realistically. Or Peacock or Football Origin even more realistically. <laughs> <laughs> The expectations keep going down. Yeah. <laughs> well, Chelsea, um, they're playing, that's a derby, London derby. It's also, I think it's a West London derby. Yeah, Craven Cottage, yeah. So that should be interesting. I mean, there's obviously a difference in quality of players, but where the clubs are right now, I mean, Fulham could probably sneak something here. I think this is this is Sterling's time to shine. His like yeah, first it has to proper be. London derby since moving back home. Um, I feel like he's going to play terrible because of the pressure, but I have captained him as my in my fantasy team. So, see. <laughs> and speaking of yeah, we talked about Potter a bit. It's a pretty nice match to have Bournemouth as for Brighton when you're reeling internally a bit. You can just go beat mm-hmm. up on on Bournemouth a bit, pretend like. There's no issues internally. Arsenal also, I mean, it's a great match home against Everton. It's exactly what you want. That's probably the easiest match available. Yeah, I um, think they'll win that. I actually don't know. Because, I mean, I, I, I do, I would like them to win that one. But um, Everton, the one thing they have going this year is they've been difficult to score against. I continue, I continued against Liverpool again. Like, they're... They're just, you know, they're not very good. But like you were saying before, with OB has kind of become comfortable in that midfield. Um, a couple of other players that they're, they're just solid at the back, at least, or not even solid at the back. They're just not giving up goals. Right. Yeah, this is where it goes off the hinges for them. Lampard might be the next one to go and then just go, you know, go back to punditry or whatever. All right, Ashwin, it's time, man. Bayern, Barcelona. I really got I think Bayern still. I don't know if Barcelona have really been tested this season. They're doing great. But... Aside from Plism. <laughs> well, that's one thing. <laughs> I mean, 
You know, I was watching Barcelona and I, I just feel bad for Coleman. I mean, if he had this team, I think they could have won the league in the last. Um, what? No. If he had this team, he would have played like two up top and like done something weird with I'd never feel bad for Coleman. No, oh, the thing is, the guy is so unlikable as a person. As a coach. <laughs> to think that even he, like if they had all these players fit, he would have managed to sneak it somehow. But I, I think, I mean, it'd be a really interesting game. I mean, all, well, there's the added thing of Lewandowski playing the old club, uh, which, which almost screwed up his transfer. But I don't know. It'd be a, I mean, Bayern's not been dominating the German. Like, they haven't come out of the blocks in the way they usually do. They've, there's been a lot of good play, but uh, they, they find themselves in third, which is rare. And Barcelona, well, I don't know. I think the Spanish leagues really dropped this week. Week, I mean, this year. I saw Sevilla playing that match. Was yeah. It was a training game for City. I mean, it was really bad. So, I don't know. I mean, let's see if, if it'll also tell us where the leagues are because this is Germany versus uh, Spain, both obviously a non-Premier League uh, uh, matchup. So be, that's not really that's, where the leagues are. That's just where these teams are. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the thing is that... No, what I mean is that you don't really get a sense of what's going that's on true. in the teams week on week, right? Except in the Premier League, like where... You know, the competition is of a PSG might win 7-0 and then, you know, against a fairly ordinary Juventus sort of struggle yeah. to win, even in a game that they were actually dominating. So that's what I meant. Right. Like, it would be a good way of understanding where, how, how much the teams have progressed from um, or where they are as, as competitors. So in, terms of, in terms of pure aesthetic, you know, what I love to watch usually is the midfield. So you'll have Assuming that they're still working, Goretzka back in. You'll have Kimmich, Sabitza, Busquets, Pedri, and Gavi. That was the most likely. That's like the most. <laughs> I think any player of those five ever made a tackle that I've seen. It's like it's going to be such a nice match to watch. Hopefully, also, I really want to see what's going to happen. Sabitzer gets stuck in. Yeah, Dembele, yeah he gets stuck I think in. Has been the real yeah. difference. I mean, he's he's fit now. Hopefully, he'll remain fit. The speed he offers, the ambidextrous, you know, way of playing. That'd be interesting because I know last time they played Bayern in in not not last year, but in that eight two, he was injured. Alfonso Davies was just on fire. Yeah, that was that, that was fun. embarrassing. So I mean, let's see. I mean, I think he's <laughs> the one to offer the you know, not just the wit, but also extend Bayern. They love to play with the high line, so it should be. Great. Yeah, I think the matchup also with Kunde back properly in the squad now that'll be that'll be nice. Yeah. Before before we end, do you wanna do you wanna go on record and pick a pick a Champions League winner? Now it's early early on enough. Also pick uh, this game. Yeah, pick this game. Bayern, I guess right? I Barcelona's gonna win. I mean, it's the heart speaking. What? The heart is speaking. Boy, <laughs> you're just completely negating yourself. Yeah, I, I said, I said, Bayern in the beginning. That's what the mind is telling me. But I, I think you know, it's finally these guys have finally gotten something going. No, I'm just kidding. I mean, but I'd really like to see Barcelona sort of putting an end to this German machine, which has been 
functioning for the last four years now. Wait, are you talking about the battle or the war? Like the game just or the, the Champions League? No, just the, oh, okay. the war is not going to be won by Barcelona, no chance. <laughs> what do you think, Ram? In the I match and overall? Think, oh, I think it'll be a draw. Um, and because <laughs> I think Lewandowski will, is, yeah, Lewandowski going to score one, but just pull one out of the hat. Um, and they'll score some other goal some other way, and then Bayern will score two, I think. Um, but in terms of the, I mean, obviously I'm rooting for Barca in the game, but I think I think City win the win the Champions League now. Mm. It could be PSG's year. I'll keep re- revising that back and forth. Yeah, I'm going Bayern in the match and Bayern in the Champions League. Yeah, even though it's between it's obviously City is the most sensible prospect. They're probably the the betting. I'm sure the odds makers would have them as the favorite. Um but Bayern it's yeah, I mean I thought I was gonna say Madrid, but I said Bayern. But um there's something about this Bayern team man. Sane is probably the only I mean Mane is probably the only player they could have signed that would have made me root for them. Mm-hmm. They're such a dislikable unit. Um, but there's something really talismanic about Mane, and it would be so satisfying for Mane if Liverpool just completely go off the rails and he wins the Champions League with uh, <laughs> with Bayern. I really I, I, yeah, I like that a lot. I have hopes from PSG, but I, again, it's, it's more, I think Bayern seems the strongest team, but I mean, I think even stronger than City in a sense, but no, I think I want PSG enough. But I think with Bayern in that final third, they just, it's the same thing. It's great that they lost Lewandowski because the goals are harder to come by. The Gladbach match was just one of, like, right. was the perfect sort of epitome of this problem they're in. They'll make chances, but um, they'll the, score the thing- bullshit goals like in the intergame. But even the, the own goal, they worked it, but on another day that doesn't go in. Thing with Byron is the difference between Byron and City is that if Byron, this is now we're just a completely fanciful conversation, but if Byron's playing against City and Byron just completely, you know, presses them and tries to make it into a high intensity match, I mean, Upa Makamo didn't even get in the team in the Champions League. Their back line is absolutely ridiculous, and and they have Neuer, um, who I would still fancy over ever over Ederson in a in a single match situation. So it, Bayern just seems perfectly balanced to me. Um, but the back line is young, and they make diff- mistakes and keep moments like Upamecano. Yeah, they do, but they have a game, and yeah, then that's you true. put against Holland. That's the difference. Yeah. Also, guys, when you're thinking about who wins the Champions League, except for 2020, when Bayern was probably the strongest team and they ended up winning, it's usually always unexpected, right? Chelsea, Real Madrid, even yeah. Liverpool in 19. No one expected them to get back yeah. after being trounced 3 0. What do you, yeah, what do you think, uh, Ram? Maybe Chelsea's starting some weird sort of karmic cycle where they fire their manager and (laughs) Tuchel signings all come good under Potter. And that happened even in 12, by the way, right? When did they win? They won in 12. I think the same thing happened. 
Yeah. Against Mateo. I think they have to do worse in the league for that to happen. I think they'll get a bump, the new manager bump with Potter, and he knows the Premier League. So I get the sense that they're going to do too well in the league to give up. But Liverpool, that might be a good dark horse once they get everyone healthy yeah. and give up on the Premier League. That, you know, is. Liverpool are washed up, man. They are. Looking... But I mean, when the thing is, when Thiago is healthy, healthy and Fabinho, if that midfield is Thiago, Fabinho, and say Artur play a little bit it at the won't end of that be. game. Yeah. It won't be. Oh, it won't be. It won't be. Yeah. Milner but, started. Yeah, but he was terrible. And conceded the penalty. He was <laughs> clearly bad. You know, he's. I I think Klopp's finished with him playing in midfield. Um, yeah. <laughs> One can only hope. Is PSG going to do it this time? What? They're gonna they're gonna win the Champions League. I'm telling you. Austin, you're <laughs> all over the place, man. <laughs> it's not gonna be City or Bayern. You, know? they, they, you expect them to win. They're easily the best teams, but that's not happened in the last few years. So <laughs> let's hope that trend continues. And anyway, it's Messi's last year in the Champions League. I think after that, after the World Cup and next year, I imagine he's gonna have the same be consigned to the same fate that his pal Ronaldo is right now. I think he's done after this year. So last year that he properly plays the Champions League, let's hope finally wins one, you know. Well, yeah, wins yeah. one after so long. Anyway, well well thanks all for joining us. We'll see you next week.